Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast puttering around the flying Ford Anglia of Mangum Reeds. We are three muggles who are also taking off into the Forbidden Forest in disgust. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? Every episode pondering what exactly these little references you're saying about is really mean. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack about some of these. And we're, I'm, are they put-downs? Are they hopeful about our oh, future? Being what called a Ford Anglia listeners? is 100% a put-down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, I, I figured that part. We really are. These are the Rorschach, Rorschach tests of this whole <laughs> situation. Like, um, other, than, other than that, just brief moment of bafflement. Doing fine, Sarah. Well, this is what I this is what I give to you, Spencer. So, and I exist to be baffled. <laughs> we are on yet another chapter of Harry Potter and uh, the <laughs> Chamber of Secrets. We are on chapter five, the Whomping Willow, and uh, we have some segments that we go through. I have a lightning fast recap, and um, then we get. Uh, BJ, what Other do you have things. for us? This I, I, week? I don't. I don't even. I don't even know. Okay. This week you. is. This chapter is not a friendly chapter to to anything up my alley. Honestly, <laughs> you got alliteration of the chapter title. Bumping Willow. Yeah, and that's about it. <laughs> okay, we'll change that. I think we'll figure something out. <laughs> um, then we get newbies' notes from Spencer. I award house points, and um, then there are some questions. Um, that occur. <laughs> I like as how fun you are, as it should be. Yeah, uh, we get through that segment. Um, <laughs> well, in, ter- in terms of your interest, Sarah, this seemed like a relatively breezy chapter. How fast do you think you can do it in for the recap? I think I can do it under under two minutes. Um, the chapter went on longer than I remembered it going on, but I think I've I think I've got it under two minutes. Yeah, but you've been keeping under around two minutes for the last few, keeping a pattern here. I'm, I, I'm trying. i got to keep myself going here. <laughs> well, if you're ready, get started. Okay. So everyone is packing to go back to school and piling in the car, which has been modified in more, in more ways than one to allow eight people, luggage, and a few owls to fit in it. After several trips back to retrieve forgotten items, the troop is very late getting to King's Cross Station. Everyone hustles through but Harry and Ron, who decide to run through together, uh, after everyone else has gone through, except they can't. Much crashing of luggage and hand-wringing about how they'll get to school, how Ron's parents will get out, until in a brilliant stroke of 12-year-old boy logic, they remember the flying car. They hop in, get the invisibility booster going, and start flying to try to follow the Hogwarts Express. And the invisibility booster gives out. So they hightail it up above the clouds where they can't be seen and are pretty pleased with themselves that they are cruising in style, checking on the direction of the train every once in a while until they're hot with no pumpkin juice and too many toffees. They're finally getting towards the castle when the car starts to give out, gliding precipitously towards the castle, the grounds, various flora. They come to a very abrupt stop in a tree. Ron's wand is broken, Hedwig is upset, various bumps and bruises are afflicting everyone and then the tree starts walloping on the car. They finally get the car out of there and it ejects them and takes off into the Forbidden Forest. Harry and Ron make their way back to the castle where they are apprehended by Snape who is utterly delighted at his luck. After some threatening, McGonagall and Dumbledore show up and while McGonagall gives them a right dressing down, Dumbledore is disappointed in them, which is infinitely worse. (sighs) 
But they get out with just attentions. Jenny has been sorted into Gryffindor. They get sandwiches. They are then welcomed back to Gryffindor Tower as heroes by everyone but Hermione, who thinks they're idiots. They beat a hasty retreat to the dormitory, but are still pretty pleased with themselves. With, like, 20 seconds to spare. You've turned this into an art form. <laughs> so well. that's where we end up at the end of the chapter. Um, yeah. BJ, where are we going from here? You've got a minute. Say something. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I always have things to say, um, but honestly, so, we've got airtime. Fill it. <laughs> um, the early chapters are usually a little bit more rife with with entertaining wordplay, and uh, we'll call them Dursleyisms. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas later chapters often have some entertaining alliteration or some other. Uh, fun, weird magic stuff going on, whereas this one just sort of is a, a an intercalated chapter that doesn't have all of that much. I mean, there's the Whomping Willow, which is pretty much the only alliteration that, that we have um, in the entire chapter, and it's the chapter title, not even in the, the words itself of the chapter. I believe that you are missing a, some mystified muggles in our midst. Oh, yes. That, that the... Uh, <laughs> Very, very wonderful uh, journalism. Um, <laughs> so the journalism of wizards reminds me of Men in Black. <laughs> it's all the tabloids. Yeah, where it's just Super like, good. you know, the best reporting in the universe uh, kind of thing. And it's just like, basically they're picking up the star or whatever else. And, and that's the, the uh, wizarding reporting. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely seems like the sun is the inspiration by which all wizarding reporting is done, which leaves open the question who the page six stunners are going to be, but separate question. Um, <laughs> you, you got, got, got any other topics, BJ, or should I just move on to Newbie's notes? Um, I actually do. Um, one of the things that we have mostly um, agreed not to talk about, which I, I think is 100% fair, and I'm not actually go- going to per, per se talk about it, is some of um, what... what the audience, essentially, of uh, Ron and Harry's uh, escapades running into the wall pick up on, which is there was a lot of muttering um, about cruelty to animals mm-hmm. surrounding the crowd. <laughs> and I yeah. just thought that it was hilarious Fair. that it's just like, okay, we're just going to vaguely acknowledge it here and then never talk about it again. Well, it, it seems like it's only a concern of the muggle world. Wizards don't give a damn. Not really, no. <laughs> Not no, not high on the list of priorities, but yes, this was <laughs> very clearly on the top of everyone's mind uh, when Hedwig is sort of squawking in her cage after being run into a brick wall. Yeah. Um, so so there are two other minor things. One, um, there's the George of the Jungle reference, which I thought was very <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, and remind us where that comes in. Uh, yeah. So so it's right about as they're about to plunge into the Whomping Willow. Um, Ron lets go of the steering wheel completely for some reason and is about to take out his wand, I guess because you can't have one hand on the steering wheel. Anyway, um, and he's hitting the dashboard and windshield with his wand, I guess. And Harry bellows, watch out for that tree. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit too late. Um and then do 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 it's a little bit slower scrolling through my kindle than it was my phone um and then the the sort of wonderful summing up maybe of 
more than one book, um, but definitely the book so far is uh, Professor McGonagall replying to Harry stuttering out, I didn't think. Uh, well, that's obvious. Um, as just sort of a perfect uh, rejoinder to to uh, to Harry trying to wheedle his way out of out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I think particularly we have had some situations where the the logic of why these children are going to do any particular given thing at any particular moment is somewhat suspect. This is one of the moments that 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 light bulb moment in King's Cross Station. <laughs> is just baffling. Mm-hmm. It, it's a very effective depiction of 12-year-old boy <laughs> logic, of where I have a problem, how do I fix this? First idea entering inter- my head is now the only idea that exists in the universe. Yes, uh, we must go from here. Um, and as soon as anyone else gets in involved in any way, it becomes very clear that this was absolutely ludicrous. It, it's, it really starts to become very apparent that they are a high-functioning trio that Ron, Harry, Hermione, they can accomplish incredible things together. Okay, that's where you're When going. it's... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Realized by halfway through that segment, oh, I'm bleeding other connotations there. Uh, but as a duo, they are just disasters. Not good. You leave Harry and Ron alone together, they'll do things. Things will be accomplished. Consequences be damned or never even considered. So I wonder how much of it is is Harry just sort of going along with things because he likes having a friend? Because the Weasleys are well known at this point for just getting into all sorts of trouble or doing things that would get them into trouble if they get caught. Whether they get caught or not varies. Sure. Certainly Fred and George. Um and the the characterization of of human bludgers like seems to trickle down <laughs> to yes. Ron in some in some way shape or form. It, it is apparent from the scene between Harry and McGonagall though that he had never considered that there was another option than what they did mm-hmm. up until the moment that someone kind of dangled it in front of his face. Yeah. Well, Ron, I don't think did. Harry obviously did. What? Hmm. When? When did at any point he suggest there was an alternative to what they just did? Well, at, as soon as they missed the train, he's just like, okay, well, we better go back to the car and wait for your parents. Oh, that is and true. Then, yeah. And then he, Ron he was just the- like, oh, the car. We can take the car. And Harry's like, well, what about your parents? And he's like, eh, they can apparate. That's fine. Well, well, Harry's also the one that got a letter from the Ministry of Magic saying, don't do magic-y things in ways muggles can see. And then just jumps in a flying car that has powers of invisibility. Well, yeah, well, the invisibility should have been fine. That's true. It's that not his yeah. fault that the invisibility booster all, is faulty. Was he casting any spells? He was participating in an act that clearly involved them. He was engaged. He was occupying an object that is itself illegal under magical law. Yeah, but who's gonna like take them in? I mean, whose job would it be to take them in? And are they, are they going to be taken in by this person? Uh, hey, we've also seen that apparently Dobby casting a spell in the general vicinity of Harry is enough to get him to be blamed. It doesn't seem like the ministry is that precise about who, ca- who catches the egg on their face. Yes, but Spencer, do you remember who would be in charge of this? 
I remember who is at least in that department. Yes. I think if it actually made the tabloids, other people might get in the know. It seems like that, you know, Hogwarts finds out pretty quick. Someone else at the ministry might also be informed. I feel like they're fairly different institutions. Like, I can't imagine that... I think that Dumbledore knows way too many things and never, ever talks to the Ministry of Magic. Just like a good academician, never, ever, ever, like... (laughs) Well, Sna- but I Sna- will Snape at the tabloid. Well, um, I will say that the the letter that Harry got from in the course of Dobby doing magic in his house was from a woman called Mafalda Hopkirk, who is from the Ministry of Magic in the Improper Use of Magic office. So there is at least some sort of dual function here, or coming Did together of functions. That? Did you just remember that offhand? What? <laughs> that, that, that name, that title, that everything. Did you just recall that just from the ether, or did you look it up? I don't know what you're talking about, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> you continue to impress. Okay. I mean, yes, we're both impressed. I, I, I think in slightly different ways. <laughs> it, because, it has made an impression. What else, what else you got for us, BJ? Um, I, I just have questions for, for Sarah, so so I will happily turn this over to uh, Newbie's Notes. Okay. Uh, first things first, uh, I think one of the greatest things that Magic can offer is uh, offer us is TARDIS-style spaces. It sounds awesome to have a car that is much larger on the inside than it appears <laughs> on the outside. The, the scene also reveals that just how utterly removed from Muggle life Molly Weasley is. If she There's just, no it, way she doesn't like a hundred percent. She knows. Is, I mean, it, it's an interesting character of where she often purpose. It's not clear whether she is the fool or she's playing. She the fool. loves her husband. That's that's literally all it is. And he like you know likes getting one over on her, and she she is accepting of that. That that is a hundred percent what this is. If it's not, I will be very it, it, very disappointed. I mean, it's, if it's not, she's a dip, and I don't think that's her, but who knows? They are very much removed from the muggle world. It's hard to say with this family. I mean, we saw Arthur's, who collects this shit, his utter excitement <laughs> at the idea. He's so angry Sorry. about that. I love it. <laughs> I am. I'm just annoyed by that. That... He has just no realm of connection at all. I mean, it's purposely being a parody of, you know, the English gentry touring foreign worlds and bringing back lots of artifacts and then miscategorizing them for years before someone points out what it really is. It's an intentional parody, but it's frustrating when you're trying to process it as an actual character, too. Um, So I I agree that it's probably Molly Weasley just kind of, oh, these idiots think I don't actually get this, but whatever, it's fun. Um, But who knows? Uh, as for the whole thing happening at the train station with Ron and Harry not able to get in there, I'm assuming Dobby. I'm assuming Dobby or his master is a part of continued efforts to prevent Harry from going to Hogwarts. That seems on brand and in theme, and otherwise there doesn't seem to be a practical explanation for why this happened. It's a riddle that you'll probably eventually solve. <laughs> okay, again, this is just someone says a line that to me just sounds utterly nonsensical, and then the other person laughs. I'm writing it down. Maybe I'll get it in 100 pages. Yep, write it down, Spencer. <laughs> uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, as as you guys said, otherwise, uh, single worst plan ever in terms of how Ron and Perry decide they're going to fix the problem that's been presented before them. They could have done almost anything else and it would have been fine. It seems like 
It seems like they're convinced that if they don't arrive at the same time the train does, they don't get to get into Hogwarts. That no like, one will ever notice that they're gone <laughs> or ask questions or notice that the Weasleys still seem to be on the train station <laughs> along I mean, with there, all of the other parents who were on the train in the train station as well. Yeah. There's just so many ways that just did, this did not make sense. They could, as said, if they just waited in the car for a little bit, the parents presumably would have gotten their way out. We don't know if it's only a one-way block or not. And they could have, you know, drove them. It's at a place. They could have put them on the... <laughs> this is a location. <laughs> it's not like this exists solely in the magical world. We've confirmed that, you know, they're using, you know beams of light and mirrors to isolate this from the muggle world there's an address you can send mail to <laughs> uh which M professor mcgonagall astutely points out uh which is i think the moment that sort of breaks harry uh, when yeah. she says i believe you have an owl don't you yeah it, <laughs> and he loses it, his I mean, mind i mean I, I i i'm really amused by it because it does conjure back in my mind situations of where 12-year-old logic was at play, and looking back, I just cannot even process how that was an intelligent thought that existed. <laughs> um, this is an accurate depiction of that. Uh, I, BJ, like you, I love the George of the Jungle reference, and I also turned some of the other homages. This chapter seems to have a few of them. My favorite one being um, the Lord of the Rings reference with the Walloping Willow, that this is very much Old Man Willow from Lord of the Rings mm. in terms of the alive, massive willow tree, angry, con angrily confronting our heroes, it's, it's an interesting little reference that you brought in here for that. Uh, Ron's broken wand feels like that's going to be relevant going forward. Uh, I didn't know that wands could break. I kind of assumed that them being magical artifacts, they in some way were immune from car wrecks and what bad things can happen as a result of those, but apparently that's not the case. May not have helped that his wand was pretty jacked as is. I think they've described it before as being secondhand at best. I mean, Sarah, who would who owned this his, his before him? I know did, they didn't get that one from the store. Yeah, it was a secondhand wand. I don't remember. It was some family member. I don't remember who it was. But I, I mean, I think that we certainly saw from the scene of Harry actually buying his wand in the first book that mm. owning a secondhand wand is never going to be particularly good for you in the first place. Um, no. And then you break no. it. And that but, seems like it, a problem. So, Sarah, I mean, do you remember the uh, word replacement? I feel like it's it's alive and well here. The word? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, BJ. You're welcome. For that. I, I'm just going to point that out every so often when it's relevant in these books, just just for that extra little punch. Mm. <clears throat> okay. What else do you have, Spencer? <laughs> <laughs> Man, so much of my role here is just to be baffled and try to play it off in some way. Not well, normally. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you that we, that was a, one of my favorite scenes in the first book was Harry getting the, um, getting his wand. Mm -hmm. And I have now since rewatched the movie. Shut up, PJ. Uh, and it was actually one of my favorite scenes now in the movie too, but it very clearly was set out that the, the bond between a wizard and the wand is very much unique. It's very much, you have to find that kind of magical moment. And so assuming that in any way a relatives can pass on to you and have that work clearly was not never going to work out. Mm -hmm. And now that it's apparently split in half, I'm imagining that hijinks and disasters will ensue. I did not particularly like Snape showing up how he did. I found that awfully tropey, though it is Snape. 
And he does like to just leer and wander the halls waiting to pounce on people. So I guess it's not that off-brand. Mm-hmm. And clearly knowing that his most favorite person in the world to hate is not present, and having presumably received the tabloid in advance that this happened, he's probably waiting to ambush them. But it was pretty on-the-nose trophy for them to be watching in mention Snape and he just appear over their shoulders. But yeah. he wanted he clearly want Snape clearly wanted this moment to happen. He's in some ways a I don't know if he's actually evil, he certainly engages in some annoying acts, but he wants to have a lot of hallmarks of some kind of super villain who wants the hero to have that moment so that they can have their dramatic reveal. And to be There's fair, this is of- sorry, Spencer, this is the first time the, or this is the second time that we've had like essentially the same thing happen the first time really with with Argus Filch in the first book. Um, mm-hmm. after they dropped off uh, the dragon on the top of the yeah. astronomy tower. Like, it's, it really is actually the same scene. So I think that mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's in character, um, it is very fair to be annoyed that this is happening again. I'm also a little annoyed about the punishment of where what they did is a real series of big deals. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of very clear laws that were violated, not to mention school codes. And they barely get off with a slap on the wrist. I think the school rules are the sum total of what Dumbledore feels like on that afternoon. Which is interesting, too, because he, I agree that he kind of controls, but he purposely punts on it. But only after saying what he wants, what he what he would do, or what he wants done, mm-hmm. where he says, uh, "Well, are we going to get are we going to expel?" He says, "Nope, not today." Oh, but that's McGonagall's call, and then walks out of the room. <laughs> it's it, it seems like he telegraphed what he wanted here, which I suppose explains it to a certain degree because what we've seen before McGonagall, she will just lay hellfire on you for the slightest infraction that she thinks reflects poorly on her house. What they did straight up violated one of the few magical laws we know exists, while at the same time inflicting damage to public property, or school property. All these real big deal, but they get detention, which we've seen before you get for seemingly significantly lower crimes. Mm -hmm. So, again, this seems like Dumbledore just kind of constantly tilting the scales in their favor, which... You know, I I I can understand Snape's kind of outraged to a certain degree. It's just like... Would any students other than these guys get off that light, seemingly, for this? Who knows? Uh, from here, I've got a few questions for you, but I think I can wrap up my newbies notes there. Okay. Um, so we have house points to award. And, and man, I don't know. Uh, I think this is a very <laughs> Tolkien um, chapter that where the house points go to the end. Okay. The what? The tree. Oh, ah. oh, oh, oh I heard yes. yeah, I heard end with a D. Um yeah, I think the Whomping Willow had a, a rollicking good time. It may also be a Huron, it's subject to debate among the fans, but you know, separate issue, separate issue. <laughs> Someday I will read The Lord of the Rings and I will know what you're talking about. I'm here for you. Today is not that day. Um No, it is not. <laughs> but even the Willow had a rough run. It got a freaking car in it. Yes, and we do find out later that um it, it actually sustained a bit of damage that has to be dealt with by the herbology professor um, and she is very displeased about this but so I don't know I, I don't even know that we can give it to the Whomping Willow 
do, do you want to give it to Jenny? She made it apparently through the house sorting, okay, and got into a house. Jenny, I think, did well. That was off camera. <laughs> I know, but that says something about this chapter. <laughs> Everyone lost in this chapter. Um, yeah, Jenny did well. I think, honestly, if we go back to th- some of the criteria that I was using in the last book, which is regardless of what is going to happen in next chapters, just where people end up at the end of the chapter, Harry and Ron are very happy with themselves. They, they have gotten a lot of street cred. They have. Yeah. Um, they, seem, they seem to be doing okay. Uh, I would give it to Ron because I think that he is a person who needs more street cred than Harry does. Um, but his wand is broken, and so that's a real difficult call to make. Um, so I don't know. The, I think this whole chapter is kind of a wash. I don't think anybody won. I don't think anybody, like, really lost either. Oh, there's there's got to be reaper. Well, as you said, within the narrow confines of this chapter, it removes it. Snape is the clear loser. Well, that's yeah. true. He thought he was getting a thing, which I think we've had this <laughs> reasoning for him being a loser before. He thought he was getting a thing, and now he's not. Um, what, what, what was the fun line from rolling on this? Is that he uh, he had a face like Christmas was canceled yeah, or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think honestly, uh, the despite the fact that it flew into a car, I think our our Ford Anglia did pretty well in this chapter. It's free. And it's run away unhappily. Yes. It's in the woods. Um, was was so, the car always alive, or was it just outrage that brought it to being? Unclear. <laughs> unclear. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty lost in the house points in this one, so I say that we just use it as a bridge chapter and move on. Happily for the next chapter, we're actually back at school, yes. so the points become a little more easy to decide. Yes. Uh, no one lost points in this chapter, is what we will say. <laughs> yeah, I got a question on that. Okay. Um, all right, so questions. Shall I start, BJ? I mean, you literally just said I have I a question on that, so. Is the implication of meeting from this chapter is that the teachers cannot take away house points to the degree actions occur either off grounds or before the school year? Because that seems like the implication. Um, as far as we know, they cannot take, as far as we know, they can't take away points in either of those situations. I think that's that's right. I would say that we uh, it's a it's more clear that things that happen outside of the actual bounds of the school year are not within Hogwarts purview really at all because we've seen before that McGonagall is very righteous with the point hammer uh, that how many points did she take away as a result of being out after curfew which she deemed the worst offense known to man 50 each so you think this one would merit some points if it was within her power to do so. Yes, and she was clearly gearing up to do said thing. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I think it's, a, it's an interesting question as to whether she actually didn't have the authority to do that or if she was, um, you know, a little Stop. charmed and disarmed. <laughs> or would have been completely reviled by every single person in her house for the entire year. Or maybe she just, like, a, a house actually cannot start in negative points. <laughs> or again, maybe Dumbledore had clearly indicated his intent and she decided to kind of bow to that. Maybe. 
There are, ma there are many options, but I will, I will say that we don't see, we don't see that professors can do anything kind of outside of the purview of, of the school itself. There are limits to professor authority. I never thought we'd see the day. <laughs> she doesn't have tenure yet. Oh, so, poor dear. Um, I have a couple of questions essentially relating to one thing. Okay. Um, so the, the one thing is essentially how common is invisibility as just a spell? Because mm -hmm. it seemed like it wasn't, and then um, just sort of a somewhat we don't like i i guess i've made theories as to that he completely isn't but a somewhat run-of-the-mill uh wizard basically enchanted a a car with a albeit not functioning super well but invisibility <laughs> uh charm and then where is harry potter's invisibility cloak yeah so his invisibility cloak is in his trunk um i can start there like it is traveling with him Okay. Um, so I think that the question of how common invisibility spells and charms and all of that is in the wizarding world is an interesting one. Um, because, and I think you're right to point out kind of the differences, because I think that the sense we get and we are supposed to get is that Harry's invisibility cloak is like something different from mm -hmm. other types of invisibility. My understanding um and we get some evidence for this in other places, um, but my interpretation is that things like the quote-unquote invisibility booster in the car itself and potentially when uh, people cast spells on themselves to make them invisible, they, those are actually more um, like camouflage types of spells. Mm. And so they are actually meant to mirror and reflect the um surrounding the light environment that strikes them. Yeah. yeah yeah and so, or so may yeah. maybe like as as the um D, D equivalent is like one you can sort of do but if you do anything out of like outside of just kind of hanging out and wander like mm, walking around mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. immediately breaks yeah whereas mm -hmm. the invisibility cloak like you can do whatever you want and it's just sort of you're you're hidden. Yeah, right. I think that that's a I think that's a fair distinction to make um, because we see a couple of times when sort of invisibility falters in some way. Mm -hmm. It's probably also an application that I mean it's been suggested that the invisibility cloak is like one of the on the list of like powerful artifacts of the world mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so, so I'd almost assume there's a certain degree of also elements of resistance to it to like scrying kind of magic mm -hmm. like with the lesser invisibility it can be pierced by wizarding intent or just staring long enough whereas this you're off the map from anything that you, you can measure except but for Dumbledore well Dumbledore just kind of was in the room where he knew Harry would go because he'd intentionally set up an object for Harry to be there and he gave him the damn cloak so he's got an edge there too <laughs> yeah um, the only thing that we think might be able to see through invisibility cloaks is cats. <laughs> well, that's just the power of cats right there. <laughs> so, Professor McGonagall... Unclear. Only in cat form. Unclear. Only in cat form. <laughs> um, do you uh, have other questions about invisibility, BJ? Uh, no, I was going to turn it back over to Spencer for, for his further questions, and then maybe toss another later. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, I, I got two more, so I'll do one for now and let toss it back to you. Uh, in terms of the living car, uh, we had no prior <laughs> indication that the car was alive as such, mm -hmm. had a will of its own, could express a certain degree of outrage, outrage to those who had driven into a tree. Um, I mean, if I remember this correctly, it threw them out of the car and kind of even flashed its taillights angrily as it drove away into the forest. Mm -hmm. Is To what degree do magical objects normally manifest life in this world? Is that kind of an inevitable thing that results from putting magic in them, that they're always kind of mm. teetering on this? Because we've seen a lot of suggestion that where magic touches, things are animated mm -hmm. and often display some level of will of their own. Yeah, I have. Uh, that's really interesting. I haven't considered the question exactly like that. And I'm trying to think of other examples of things that go a little harebrained. Um, it ties into classic magical tropes. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, one of the first depictions of magic they ever saw was Mickey Mouse as the Sorcerer's Apprentice, yes. where things come alive and it moves out of your control. It's a very much a hallmark of magic. And I can imagine J.K. Rowling working that in. I'm just not quite sure if that's an inevitable or certain thing with enchantment here. I don't think it's an inevitable or certain thing. We do... I mean, there are some other examples of it or of something somewhat similar happening um, happening throughout the books. It seems to be a little bit when not necessarily an inevitable outcome of the magic itself, but usually when something magical goes awry. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But I, you know, I don't think that we necessarily really know, and I don't think that we ever really know, like, what happened with this car <laughs> to really Again, trigger just... it into some sort of, seemingly some sort of consciousness. Um, but it, it does <laughs> it... seem to be doing its own thing now. I mean, little, little enough. Not enough has been written about the power of disdain to conjure life in the universe. <laughs> it's perfectly possible that's what happened here. I yeah, I think that's the real um, sort of motivating factor of the universe. <laughs> All right, BJ, what you got for your next one? Well, so I hate when you take this tone before you ask a question. <laughs> You're welcome. Um. I actually had, I, I did a little bit of a, a Spencer Wikipedia spiral. Don't do that. Um, and, and so I guess my initial question was going to be, like, if they didn't take the train, like, why is this such an issue? And also, if it's a school train and essentially like a school bus kind of journey, why don't they do like a head count? It's not like they don't know who everybody is where they're going, where they need to be. And I'm sure they could always figure out some way to like make sure that they're always on time through whatever ways that they can figure out that don't violate any Ministry of Magic issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I just finished my, my Spencer Wikipedia spiral. And so presumably the Weasleys live in Devon and they're going to, to the maybe northern reaches of Scotland, so it is quite a long trip. Mm -hmm. The longest train trip in, in England, as far as I understand, is a little over 13 hours. So I'm just going to say the timeline doesn't make a lot of sense, and I'm also going to say that it really... I did not know this previously, and I should have, that Penzance is an actual place <laughs> um, and is basically the southwestern <laughs> tip of the UK... Um, and piracy is not one of the top things to do there, which really disappoints me in Wikipedia. 
Oh, Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan, Sullivan Rip, I led you wrong. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I guess more to the point is, is the train that they take magical? Like, and can you tell, like, can you at least justify, like, why this was an occurrence that happened? And it, and it seems like a little bit of a weird thing to do to just leave. Um, but also they're traveling quite a distance and it would take most of a day. And so did they just like spend essentially half 12 hours, you know, flying in a car and that's why they were having trouble staying awake, which is very understandable. I've essentially done a drive like that into basically the, the nether portions of the U S also called Florida. (laughs) Yes. Um, so more concretely, is is the train to Hogwarts magical other than getting there? And why is it as poorly run and set up as it seems to be? So I, th- I think that the train is magical in some way. We don't know what that is, but it would not. I suppose it would not surprise me if it is magical in some way. Um, the trip does take most of a day, though. Um, even yeah, on the train. they do get, like, food a couple of times yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so the train I mean, but they're leaves, young, so well, yeah. But the like train leaves at 11 and o'clock, um, and they don't... 11 o'clock in the morning, and they don't get there until after dark, like, consistently throughout the books. So, hmm. I mean, it is a good... And it is kind of end of summer, so it would still be probably a good 10 seven hours o'clock like at least before it yeah. got dark. Yeah, so it is... I mean, it's a long trip, um, although I guess I hadn't really thought about it being that long, necessarily. Um, the th- well, the 13-hour one is is definitely with making stops, and this presumably <laughs> isn't making random stuff. But <laughs> actually, that would be very, very funny. So it does leave from London, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be really funny if they, like, popped off in Cambridge or, like, Manchester or something, and it's just like, yeah, like, we, you know, we need to stretch our legs. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it makes any stops. Um, it is the Hogwarts Express, so it probably shouldn't make any stops. Although I have frequently wondered about, like, if you have students who are going to Hogwarts who just happen to live closer to Hogwarts than they do to, like, London, for example, is there a reason that they couldn't just go to Hogwarts? Like, instead of riding the bus, your parents drive you to school? Yeah. I guess I was going to say, like, so do other people show up? Is this just, like, a random thing? Um, yeah, I don't know. Everything do, we've seen is that everybody rides the train to Hogwarts. Do, do I also... Question about the train itself, too. My visual of it is a, a old-style, you know, Victorian steam train mm-hmm. with, you know, smoke coming out of the stack and everything else. That's what this train is, right? Uh, yeah, according to the front cover of the first book... Or my mm-hmm. my copy of the first book, yes. So, so it's all it's also presumably moving slower than modern trains too. No, Come not on. when magic is involved. We don't know how magic works with respect to this. That hints the question. <laughs> well, I think we, I think we can assume that magic would work to speed the train up instead of slow it down. I don't assume that with the magic I've seen Harry Potter well, honestly, so Honestly, like, Spencer is kind of right. So if it is the Express, it only really has to go, like, 200 to 300 miles, depending on where exactly in Scotland it's going. Okay. And so if it's an Express traveling at normal 
train speeds, you know, let's say it's 60-ish miles an hour, taking like close to 10 hours is is real slow. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it stops. Um, but I do Maybe I it do goes through a, a vortex. Yeah. Are there Scottish or Irish wizards? Yes. I'm assuming Hagrid has a Scottish accent. That's probably because of the movie, though. Um, y- yeah, and we um, there are a couple of wizards that we actually meet who are uh, particularly Irish. Um, so Seamus um, Finnegan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is in fact Irish. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then we also meet. I will say in the in the fourth book, um, there is a, a a Quidditch World Cup that we go to. And one of the teams playing in the final is the Irish national team. Hmm. Interesting. That is right, presumably Spencer. composed of all Irish wizards. <laughs> well, right. clearly not. I mean, pretty much all sports you have, you know, immigrants <laughs> playing. So. Well. Okay, moving on. Uh, last question for me. Dumbledore suggests that if they did it again, he would have to expel them. But that it's individual house authority about deciding expulsions now. First question, is that how it works? Of where discipline is largely controlled by the individual house leaders, but if certain repeated events or egregious events occur, the headmaster intervenes and just decides the punishment himself? Is he describing how it would work accurately, or is he just kind of brushing off the question? Um, I mean, I think it's accurate, but it's also, like, as we have been talking about, like, so many things are according to Dumbledore's whims that, who knows? Yeah, he's a mixed bag as a headmaster. There's just not some some aspect of that job requires a certain degree of written rules and predictability, and those are not things he stands for. No, not not big on it. All right, well that just leads to my continual fascination and confusion with Dumbledore. He's definitely an interesting character, but he just seems to enjoy having everybody else be in ambiguity because it gives him more power. Yeah, he's capricious to a degree that puts me to shame. <laughs> Yeah, you have, ma- you have many lessons to learn, BJ. <laughs> and Look at how high you can aspire. <laughs> um, all right. Other things we need to cover on this chapter? Yeah, I think we're good. I think the only thing that we desperately need to talk about is the picture for, <laughs> for chapter six. Yeah. Yeah. So next I, week we I, are going to chapter six, Gilderoy Lockhart. I so is this look. like a Cabbage Patch Kid? Hang on. Let me look. <laughs> Um, it, it, oh, Jesus Christ. It is, it's not really spoiling anything. This is a mandrake. Okay. This world needs to stop having everything be alive. That, <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of, lot of living things that are going to make you uncomfortable, Spencer. The, whew, there's a lot of personification and anthropomorphism in this world that just does not need to be happening. Especially with what happens to these things later. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Well, this has been fun. That- on that haunting note. All right. Looking forward to next week as my continued childlike charm is just dashed by this book. Well, the, the title of the chapter is Gilderoy Lockhart, which we will be doing next time. Yes. Chapter six. <laughs> Bye. The plant is crying. Oh.